This is the Arc Energy Ideas Podcast with Peter Terzakian and Jackie Forrest, exploring trends that influence the energy business. Welcome to the Arc Energy Ideas Podcast. I'm Jackie Forrest. And I'm Peter Terzakian. Welcome back. Today, we're going to talk about the markets for oil and gas and how some recent decisions are really consequential to the producers in the Western Canadian sedimentary basin. You know, Jackie, we've been doing this program for over a year now, if you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, I know. Yeah, thanks for all those listeners that yeah, have been tuning in for a absolutely. year. And the newer ones, too. And back in January of this year, we did a podcast on the natural gas situation, and there was a lengthy report that was put out by a panel that reported to the government, uh, actually the Notley government back then. And in that recommendation set, there was uh, item number seven, which we talked about as being a very consequential issue, if you recall. And that has, after almost uh, whatever it is, 10 months. You know, it, it's been 10 it, months it, since that initial report said that, you know, yes. there's there's a recommendations and, and highlighted number seven in 10 months. And we finally have some resolution. So we have a resolution. So we yeah. want to talk about that. Yeah. And then back around um, May, June, we noted the whole situation with the Enbridge mainline for oil on the oil side. We've yeah. talked about all sorts of issues from curtailment to so on. And more recently, we've spoken about the issue of how Enbridge was moving to change the contracting rules from a what we called pipe neutrality, in other words, anybody can get on the pipe, to one where it was potentially going to be fully contracted for a select few large companies. And we talked about that on a podcast. And again, there's been a resolution or at least a partial resolution of that recently. So we're going to talk about both of those issues, the natural gas situation and the oil situation. Now, I'll just preface it with a, sort of a more contextual thing, is that we know that by virtue of technology and political and regulatory forces and all sorts of issues, social forces, that the oil and gas industry, not only in Canada, but really North America and more broadly speaking, is undergoing a lot of transition. It's all within, right? Just even within the oil and gas right, business. Right, because of this technology that's unleashed uh, yeah. all this low-cost supply. Yeah, so we've really gone from a period of long-term believing scarcity to one of abundance, both on the oil and the gas side. And it's only been less than 10 years that uh, we have come to this situation where we're not worrying about things like peak oil or running out of natural gas in the winter and going cold to one where we have so much of the stuff that the prices get pounded down and there's curtailments and constraints. And so really the regulatory situation and the established mindset around how to how to deal with this situation hasn't really evolved. And these are the stresses and strains that we see. Just to follow up on your point, regulators and government are always important when it comes to energy sector. But when we get into situations where we are constrained, we have more supply than we have takeaway, I think there's even a bigger role for uh, these entities, including the Alberta government's announcement to extend oil curtailment, which we'll talk about at the end as well. Right. You know, so here are three examples, three positive uh, news headlines from Western Canada, I believe, that I think will improve things for producers and really are the result of regulators or governments contributing to finding a solution when we have constraints. Yeah, and I, th I think, again, another preface point is that some people would view a lot of this as market intervention by either government or regulators, which are quasi-government coming in. But I view them as actually adjustments in evolution during a period of tremendous disruption and change. In other words, the technology induces major changes all sorts of other things are inducing major changes in the structure of the industry, and policies have to evolve with it. When we get into the situation of constraints, there are issues that 
are negative to the public good. Right. Rather it be, you know, if, if prices are lower than they would be otherwise, then that affects all Albertans, all right. Canadians. And so when things start to affect the public good, I think there is a role for government to get involved and say, you know, is, is what's going on in the best interest right. of everybody? And the public good is important in an oil-producing jurisdiction like Alberta, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, and more on the gas side. It's super important because in our confederation, the provinces are the owners. In other words, the people of Alberta are the owners of the resource. So they have a vested staked interest in the prices because royalties are priced off price. And at the end of the day, they are the owners and the oil and gas companies are the producers. They are the one that bring the capital to the projects and they produce, they sell, and everybody's shares in the profitability of the enterprises. So anyway, getting back to number uh, the, the natural gas situation. Yeah, back to, we got off the philosophy, but okay, I think the okay. philosophy is important. And it there's been a important. lot of discussion in this province about that. I, I mean, I think part of the regulator's role is to ensure the public good. And here's some great examples of that. So we'll start with the natural gas. So over two years, we have been living uh, with a change that created major volatility and choppiness for Alberta natural gas prices. And we will post a chart to the show notes of this podcast, which shows you the price back to January of 2015 of Henry Hub, and then it shows the price of ACO. And you don't need glasses to see that there's a problem here. Starting in the middle of 2017, very choppy, very volatile, and very low prices for ACO, and you just don't see that in Henry Hub. So there's something so, going on here in Alberta. Yeah, there is. So Henry Hub is the hub that's the major trading point for natural gas in the United States and Louisiana. That's right. And ACO... AECO is a hub that is, I don't know, somewhere down by Brooks, I think. Yeah, it's in uh, Alberta. Which is yep. a major hub where natural gas is priced, in other words, bought and sold at that point. And, I mean, this thing just looks so volatile, particularly in the summer where the last three years we've seen devastatingly low natural gas prices. And this sort of brings about the comment that we've said occasionally on our podcast that the, the gas is coming out of the ground for free. Yeah, I mean, those off-shoulder... So so the winters, when we had a higher demand, the prices were a bit more stable. But the, the shoulder season, really starting mm. in April and, and ending in October, where there's less demand, we had extremely low prices. So the last few years, we've averaged near a dollar Canadian per gigajoule, which is about a 70% discount from the price that Americans so are Americans getting So Americans are getting about three bucks. Yeah. The, you know, and we're well, getting we're getting one third. Yeah, this is not a sustainable situation. The Alberta government recognized that and in 2018 put together an expert panel to look at the situation. They came out with 48 recommendations. We talked yeah. about that in our January podcast. 48, yeah, not all 48. <laughs> yeah, and, and we highlighted that the number seven was the most important in the short term. Many of those recommendations were important, like, you know, we should try to get LNG longer term. We should try to expand our markets. We should try to get more value-added activity here in Western Canada. All important things. But we said number seven was one that needed to be addressed and that could really affect things in the short term. And most of those other recommendations were more long-term in their nature. Yeah, so talk about number seven. The Conservative government, the United Conservative Party, the UCP, put in their election platform, actually, that they wanted to solve some of these problems around natural gas. And so when they were elected in the spring, we had an associate minister of natural gas appointed, Dale Nally. And I really think the government's involvement in, in this process was really important. They showed a lot of leadership to bring together the industry who, you know, not everyone was on board with the change. Some mm -hmm. people weren't exposed to the price of natural gas in Alberta. They had prices that they were realizing were actually in other places. So they, they were less interested in solving the problem. 
problem. But the government showed a lot of leadership to bring this group together. And the pipeline operator, TransCanada, as well as the producers, agreed that they wanted to change these policies that had contributed to the volatility. And these things were introduced in the middle of 2017 and created the volatility. So could we not go back to the way we did it before? Let's go back to the root issue. So the root root issue is the ability to produce way too much natural gas with the new technology, in other words, this period of abundance. But then layered on top of that was every time there was a maintenance era, which is typically, when is it? When, when well, is it the, often happens in the, the summer in period. In the summer, yeah. yeah. So every time there's maintenance, when then you introduce uh, constraints in the system. And this is what happens to price as illustrated in the chart we'll post, right? That yes. that was really issue number seven. Yeah. What happened in the summer of 2017 is there was changes to the maintenance policy and that was really problematic. And at the same time, there were changes made that made it very difficult for gas to access the storage cavern. So when prices were low, usually we would send that gas to storage caverns so we could use it later, you know, in the winter when prices were higher. Mm-hmm. But because of the changes that were made on the system, you actually couldn't even send the gas to storage. So not only were we oversupplying the system in periods of maintenance, but we had no ability to get to storage. And that created this crazy volatility. To give you an example, in a typical summer before that change was made, storage caverns were 100% available in the summer to be flowed into. And after that change, they've only been available about 30% of the time. Mm -hmm. And because of this situation, right now, storage levels in Western Canada are at 13-year lows. Even though we've had ridiculously low prices this summer, which would have motivated storage operators to want to store that gas and sell it in in the winter when it's higher priced, they didn't have the ability to actually get that gas into storage. So things were severely not working. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a very complicated issue in terms of how it all works, but there was no doubt that it was policy that was really not designed for this period of abundance. In other words, the ability to produce too much. And, and it just, the whole system broke down. As you said, in the summer, when demand is typically low, natural gas is injected into these storage caverns, many of which are in southeastern Alberta. And then they are drawn in the winter when we all need to heat our homes in our brutally cold winters. Mm-hmm. And you know, right? and demand and it can go up in the winter months, like almost yeah. double what it yeah. would be in the summer months. And so we do need that storage facility to be able to supply the gas that we right. need in the winter. So actually, I mean, the, the, the policies were, or have actually created a situation where we're long in our ability to produce the gas, but very potentially short to be able to address really cold snaps. Yeah, and you know, this storage situation has been getting worse every year. Every year since the 2017, we've been etching down in terms of the storage to the very, very low levels we are right now. In fact, in September, we only injected three BCF per day for the whole month in a time when our storage levels are at like 13-year lows. The good news is the Canadian Energy Regulator approved these changes. They were effective as of October first, but actually didn't come into play until October 5th. So just a few days ago from recording, but already since they've been in effect, we've been injecting 1.3 BCF each day. So already after three days, we've injected almost five BCF per day, uh, more than we did for all of September. So the good news is the changes seem to be working. When it come back to the public good, it's in the public good to have gas in storage as we go into winter. And I hope that this month of October, we can really inject a lot of gas to get us into a much better position. Yeah, I don't think most people realize that we are becoming increasingly a just-in-time delivery system that potentially would have left us uh, short 
in a brutally cold winter. And, uh, and what would that case. mean is very, very right, high prices. Right. So, you know, policy yeah. innovation had to happen. And in part, that's part of it. I mean, another artifact of this, of course, was the really, really low prices that producers were seeing, which, uh, you know, for some is makes them on the verge of bankruptcy. Yeah, like a dollar Canadian per gigajoule for most dry gas producers will not cover your cost of, you know, your operating costs at the wellhead, plus your processing fees, plus your transportation costs to sell your gas. Municipal taxes, local taxes, et cetera. Yeah, Yeah, and so there are companies in, in Western Canada that have had serious financial issues and even bankruptcy. One example of that because of this situation. And I think right. if we hadn't made this change, that situation would have got worse. And that's also not in the public good to have companies that are bankrupt that leave their wells to be cleaned up by the province. And so I think this is a great change, great move by the regulator. In terms of prices, it's just early days right now, but in the first few days that this policy's been implemented, prices have nearly doubled from what they were before. Right. So, so it's so going to strengthen prices as well. It's going to strengthen prices. So Without being a policy wonk and getting into the nitty-gritty of the details, what was it that, what was the number one thing that was introduced to make the change? Well, there's two major changes. In periods of maintenance, when we have reduced capacity on our regional gathering system, there is going to be a policy to reduce the amount of supply that comes into the system so we keep the market more so balanced. So if I say temporary curtailment. A temporary curtailment around these maintenance periods, and then also make it more available for the gas to get into storage where it wasn't available before. And these will only be available during maintenance periods, but that's okay because that's when the system is really imbalanced. will be available for this month, but not in the winter. But in the winter, we have higher demand, so it's not as necessary. Available next summer, and then the policy sort of ends after next summer. But at that point, we are expecting to get more takeaway capacity out of Western Canada and be out of this really constrained situation. And so maybe we'll wait and see how it goes, but the idea is that these policies won't be as necessary at that point. Yeah, I was going to ask you whether or not this was just sort of like a temporary band-aid or whether it was actually part of a longer-term solution. And I think it's it, it sounds like it's temporary. We're going to get the extra takeaway capacity from more pipelines. And then further out into the 2020s, we've got the whole LNG thing. That's right. And by 2023, 2024, we've got LNG, we've got expansions even in 2021 out to Eastern markets. I will say, though, at the regulators, there was an oral hearing for this, and there were some parties that were saying this should be the policy all the time. I think there's still an option for that. I Let's see how it works. Let's see what the consequences and unintended consequences are. And I think that if it works well, there may be some opportunity to revisit if this gets extended out further as well. Right. Well, I mean, it's not really in anybody's interest, certainly the stakeholders of the uh, of Alberta and the people of Alberta to see gas prices effectively. I mean, in some instances, it's touching the zero line. As I said, gas comes free, no royalties, nor any taxes, and the potential for bankruptcies of companies leading to unemployment. So that's not in the public good, nor is it in the public good to see uh, such distortions in the market that we're not storing gas for the winter. Uh, that's no good either. Yeah, and I mean, just look at that price chart. There's something really wrong here when, you know, we price off U.S. pricing, when our pricing is that volatile and choppy, that's not good for investment, that's not good for, I would say that's not even good for consumers because there's no stability in price, so it's it's bad for everybody. And so a very welcome move to bring more stability to Western Canadian natural gas prices. Yeah, okay, good. So move on to oil and the big... Enbridge mainline issue. Why don't you give us a recap of what the issue was, and then we'll move on to the recent ruling by the Canadian Energy Regulator. Right. So the Enbridge wanted to take the 
big pipeline, the main line, which moves about 70% of all of the crude from Western Canada. And they wanted to take that from being open where everyone has access to it each month. Every party that wants to ship crude on it would nominate how many barrels they want to ship. So where does a, just, just for a refresher, where does the main line start and where does the main line go? Yes, it starts in the Edmonton area and it terminates in the Midwest in the Chicago area, although there are pipelines that kind of continue on Mm -hmm. to take crude to Ontario, even Quebec, and a little bit further south as well. 70% of our oil production goes down this line. That's right. So it's a big, big part of our artery. It's a big artery. artery. Okay. And and when was this thing built? Well, it actually initially was built 70 years ago, and that time it obviously wasn't as big as it is today, but over the years they've added multiple lines to get to the 2.7 and or 2.8 million barrels a day of capacity that it is today. Right. So we've got the suppliers in Western Canada, dominantly in Alberta, because we're the biggest oil producer of the three Western provinces. Then the pipe goes to the Midwest, so there's the pipeline operator, which is Enbridge, and then there's the big refineries in the United States. So those are the three parties, I'll call it, to this equation of oil production, export, and consumption. Exactly. And when Enbridge, you know, has always had this open to every party, but they they wanted to make a major commercial change. They wanted to change it from being open to everybody to contracting 90% of the line. And so that, you know, certain parties, whether it be refiners or upstream producers, could then sign up for 10 or 20 years where they would have control of their capacity. Now they have to agree to to ship every single day on that line and pay a certain toll to do that. But it really would change the market power of refiners versus Western Canadian producers because it would change that balance of power. You know, when someone controls the pipeline, they have, especially in a world where we're short pipeline capacity, they have more ability to negotiate prices than they do today. So again, just to fulfill our understanding here, fill the pipe of our understanding. How's that for a a pun? So the, the, the pipeline which is seven decades old, has always had a mandate for any producer, any refiner to be able to ship their product on it. And that's been fine in an era when there was no excess production that clogs up all the pipelines, right? So now the pipeline is basically fully 100% almost utilized. Every month, people nominate how much they want to ship down the line, and it's 140% greater volume is nominated right. than it actually can ship. And so it's just wildly oversubscribed. And I can understand why Enbridge might say, hey, then now's a great time to uh, ask people to take firm capacity because then they can be guaranteed in terms of how much right. uh, space they get. So and obviously, space is is so coveted, coveted today yeah. that, that now's the time so, to kind so of offer this that, to people. Talk about that term, firm capacity. So firm is is basically a contract where you have the right to ship the crude over the period of 10 or 20 years, whatever you sign up for. And no longer do you need to fight with everybody else for that space. That is your space. You control it for the period of your contract. I could get a firm capacity contract for 10 years such that I will send 100,000 barrels a day down this pipe and nobody else is able to take that away from me. Yes, yes. So very different than today, where suppliers and producers have to work together and nominate uh, barrels um, that go down the line. And so, you know, this is a major change. And, and, you know, because this is a pipeline that moves 70% of all of our crude oil, it's been known to move the price of oil in Western Canada. It really sets the price of oil in Western Canada. And Mm -hmm. if you go back to the last quarter of 2018, when we had those very wide differentials, the rules associated with this pipeline and how space is divvied out 
did affect the price of oil. The NEB actually wrote a report in March uh, that concluded that. And so it, it is problematic and concerning to make such a major change to this pipeline because it has this ability to affect Western right. Canadian crude okay. oil prices. So fast forward to about uh, a couple months ago. The EPAC, Explorers Producers Association of Canada, gets involved on behalf of small producers that don't necessarily have the financial muscle to enter into 10-year contracts. And uh, a consortium of others start writing petitions and letters. Is that what happened? Yeah, so that's exactly what happened. There were a lot of producers that were very concerned by this change. And so they wrote the regulator, the Canada Energy Regulator, that they wanted this open season to be suspended so that the regulator could um, look at this offering and determine if it was actually meeting the needs of the Canada Energy Regulation right, Act. Right, right. So it was called the NEB Act. I'm not quite sure the name of the new act, but there are things that you need to provide open access. You can't discriminate against any shipper. You have to make sure things are in the public interest and the public good. So when, when you say you, that effectively means Enbridge. Well, the regulator has to ensure that, yes, the offering by Enbridge right. uh, meets all of these requirements. And right. these producers, including Shell, Suncor, CNRL, and EPAC, the Producers Association, they wrote in uh, saying, you know, we are making a request that you put this open season, this commercial process offering. that you have going on, on hold. And, and basically, the regulator needs to review the terms of this offering to make sure that it is in, right. um, meets the requirements of the act, which these producers believe that it right, did not. Right. And the dom one of the dominant arguments of the producer side was that if you contract and lock up the pipeline to a handful of big producers, then you have the potential to alter the market for the price of oil at the wellhead. Yes, and you know it may not only be producers. I think a big part of this pipeline would be contracted by refiners. Mm -hmm. And in a world where we're short pipe capacity, those that have the pipe have the ability to uh, right. affect price and negotiate right. lower prices. Even, even some of those refiners were part of the petition, weren't they? Well, so this is the interesting thing. So the Canadian Energy Regulator opened up a comment period where different parties that wanted to weigh in on, you know, should this open season be suspended so that a hearing could occur or should it just follow the normal commercial process? And uh, we had a, a large group of Canadian producers support that this open season, the commercial mm -hmm. process should be put on hold. In fact, producers that represented 70% of all crude oil production in Western Canada wrote, wrote in saying they wanted this suspended. Mm -hmm. But interestingly enough, you also had other groups write in. You had two big industry associations, uh, EPAC for the small producers and the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, saying they wanted to have the hearing and, and to put this commercial right. process on hold. You had the Saskatchewan government, who was concerned by how this could change the price of oil and therefore uh, the public good, right. uh, write in and say they would want that as well. We also even had some refiners that were in the Midwest and Canada write in and say these are refiners that are dependent on receiving crude oil from the main line. They right. were concerned by the change right. too. So basically what's happened is, is that Enbridge was going out trying to contract out the pipeline to long-term 10-year contracts, dominantly with big producers, that the stakeholders, I'll call them, the industry associations, producers, refiners, etc., uh, basically called a timeout and encouraged the Canadian Energy Regulator to get involved because this is a cross-provincial, cross-border issue and said, let's just talk about it. Let's, let's discuss this in a public hearing. 
Mm-hmm. And there were some people, by the way, that were for the change that yeah. wanted Enbridge's commercial season to go forward, including Synovus Imperial, some Midwest and Gulf Coast refiners. But the vast majority of the people that wrote in or the comp- groups that wrote in well, were in favor of Well, 70% is a, a pretty strong endorsement, 70% yeah. of all production. So the regulator made a decision that they would put the commercial process on hold, suspend the open season, and have a hearing. And they had some text in their document that I wanted to just go over, which said, this is an unusual thing. It's very historic. It's never happened before that the regulator has stepped into a commercial process. But they felt there was a very unique set of circumstances that deemed this the right thing to do at this time. So one would just be the fact that this is 70% of oil transportation Mm -hmm. from Western Canada. There are lack of alternatives right now, like there are no other alternatives, and that actually gives Enbridge a lot of market power at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, they put this offering in front of people, and really they have no no choice. So they're concerned by the potential for them to have market power at this point. They also talked about the fact that there's a real concern in that the spot capacity in Western Canada would be so drastically affected by this change, go from 80% of all the space in Western Canada on all the export lines to 15%. And what would be the implications of that and the unintended consequences? And also the fact that this isn't many other systems where they've offered these types of firm contracts have been for mm-hmm. new new pipelines, but this is an existing pipeline, and you're basically reallocating space from one group of shippers potentially to another. Yeah. So I think these were all echoing many of the things that the yeah. producers that yeah. were concerned I, I, had brought up. I have to say, for you know, I, as we said in previous podcasts, I personally don't fault Enbridge for doing what they're doing or the those that support this thing. I mean, it's, as I think I called it, MBA 101. I mean, this is what you do in terms of business. Business can sometimes be fairly ruthless in terms of capitalist behavior, and this is just what one would expect. I, I think, though, that you know, you got to step back and think about what we even alluded to earlier in the podcast. Is okay. So here we have at least three instances of government or quasi-government intervention in the market. We have curtailment, which got which, extended now into twenty twenty. Okay, we've got the natural gas issue where the government. As uh, basically, or is it the, regu- the regulator? Well, the government worked with the producers, and, and all of them went to the regulator and said okay, they want okay. this change. Okay, so but basically, yeah. it's a it's it's a public institution imposition on the market that has maintenance curtailment curtailment during maintenance periods. So, and now we have the Enbridge Mainline issue, which is going to hearing, and we'll see where it all lands. We'll talk about that in a minute. And and, and so these are instances of, uh, you know, extraordinary things that certainly I haven't seen in my career in following those sorts of things. But I think it speaks to what I said earlier at the opening of the podcast, that it's, it really speaks to the distortions that we're seeing as a consequence of the disruption to the industry as a consequence of going from a period of scarcity to a period of abundance by virtue of technology and of course the the inability to build more pipelines and the social environmental political environment that we're in and i think we're going to see more of this sort of thing until things settle out as we go into the 2020s until we reach some sort of different industry structure i totally agree with you as we're in a, a world of constraints and that's where regulators 
and and policymakers and governments uh, do play a bigger role because there are winners and losers in these situations, and sometimes mm-hmm. the outcomes are not in everyone's best interest. Quickly, the Alberta government did announce that they will extend oil curtailment until the end of 2020. Of course, the NDP, when they were in power, they brought in the oil curtailment, said it would be to the end of 2019. Um, now, the reason that the new uh, Alberta government has decided to extend it is primarily because we've had some delays, again, right. in the, the pipelines. We expected new pipelines the Enbridge Line 3 replacement to come on at the end of Mm -hmm. 19. That's now been delayed, and it's going to be the second half of 2020, if not even further delayed than that. And so I think this was a good decision by the Alberta government. It gives stability to our our crude oil prices in Western Canada, which is needed. You know, investment is down this year compared to last year, but without curtailment, I think investment would even be lower. But I think we can all agree, you would agree, that ultimately we want to get to a place where there is no intervention in any of this stuff, that the market operates in an efficient manner and there's clearing of the products and that we don't have to have these sorts of things happen, which frankly, you know, create sufficient uncertainty that uh, investors sort of shy away because, okay, you know, I'll wait till things stabilize. We don't have this sort of uh, interventions and we achieve a steady state. I think that that's going to happen. You know, we talked about the natural gas pipeline expansions that are coming. Mm-hmm. We've got the LNG, we've got more rail, some new modalities, and I think we are going to see more pipe at some point. And, and so, you know, as we head into the 2020s, I'm optimistic we're, we're hopefully going to get away from this sort of thing. I agree. It's really about the takeaway capacity. When we get mm-hmm. enough takeaway capacity, then I think right. these things aren't needed. By the way, quickly with rail, rail has actually really increased out of Western Canada for July. We found out that we moved 313,000 barrels a day, not that far off our peak. Right. But the government is actually talking about a new policy in Alberta where they would allow crude by rail above oil curtailment levels. And I think that is a very positive idea because not only do we maximize price out of Western Canada in that scenario, mm-hmm. but we also maximize volume. You, you clear the volumes. Yeah. yeah, and all those people that made crude by rail investments are able to use those right. investments. Well, that, 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 that makes sense. I, I'm hoping that we're headed that way. And that also cements a new modality of transport out of the out of the Western Canadian sedimentary basin, something we've also talked about in the podcast over the course of the past year. So there's no shortage of things to talk about. It's been over a year, so happy anniversary. Yeah. And uh, we shall continue to talk about the issues as we go forward. Good. Well, thank you for joining this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please rate us on the app that you listen to and tell someone else about us. For more ideas and insights, visit arcenergyinstitute.com.